0: this is concepts where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world phil shea and steve rose my name is phil shea i am writing for makeaskilljack.com and you can find more writing by me at hittingajack.com steve My name is Steve
1: Rose, and you can find more about me at SteveRosePhD.com, where I write about mental health and addiction.
0: Welcome to the Concepts Podcast. You're not going to say it? Oh my (laughs) God. Every time I give you space, every time I give you space, you don't (laughs) step up. (laughs) All right, then I guess we're not going to have an awkward, lilted thing. We're going to have an awkward silence instead. Steve, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. I thought I would try not saying welcome today because every other time you've bulldozed my welcome. So the time to give me space is the
0: time I was not there to fill it. Maybe some communication, dear counselor. <laughs> That's on me too. It's on me. I know. I'm just going to blame you because why not? All right. So today I'm going to be taking the charge. I'm going to be talking about lost leaders. Ooh, lost leaders. Before we get into that, I wanted to comment on something that a listener has talked about. They said that your voice is so deep that they They have to play it faster to really listen. Like listening to it faster. Does it make it higher pitched? Oh, maybe because my podcast thing doesn't alter the pitch. But I guess if depending on what you're using, some of them could. I guess that would make more sense. It might. It might. Oh, so now it makes a lot more sense. Well, I'm not changing my voice. So take that. No, you should lean into it. Whatever you can't fix feature. Yes. I guess you could talk like this all the time. Yeah. But that just makes you seem bad. That's it. I'm going
1: deeper. I'm going deeper deep dive today.
0: Yeah. <laughs> dive in deep dive. Uh, okay. So loss leaders, loss leaders. If anybody's familiar with business, I'm probably going to do like a kind of mm, okay job on this, I think. Cause like my business background is mostly from experience and from just self-reading. I only, I didn't say like any in school, but a loss leader is selling something at a loss to attract customers into your store. Ooh, sneaky. That's pretty much it. And whenever I pick something like this, it's useful to know about, but I'm always worried that I won't have enough to fill an hour and then we usually (laughs) exceed an hour somehow. So generally, you'll find this is done a lot of the time with grocery stores is the easiest example that everyone's familiar with. Milk, bread, eggs and somebody said meat I've never really found the meat one, but milk, bread and eggs, the things that are relatively cheap to produce. Everyone kind of needs them continually. They don't stay very long and they're usually purposefully located at the very back of the store, right? Oh, that's true. It's all in the back corner. Not so much bread, but milk and eggs. Yeah. Not the bread. That's kind of like the first thing. Yeah. But uh, the milk and eggs are always the back corner. Part of me wonders if we're going to run into your lack of spatial awareness of grocery stores. (laughs) Oh, we don't need to talk about that. Well, we did talk about that before. But yeah, because when you first walk in, it's produce, fresh produce. And be like, wow, look at all this great stuff. And then behind that's usually bread. And it's all on the back aisle. In the middle, as they say, is the junk that generally is not so good for you and isn't necessary. (laughs) You could just go around the outside and you'd be perfectly fine. But the inside is where they want you to cut through, which is why for grocery stores, I think milk is a thing that people often get. Same with eggs. So those are the very furthest corners. If you were to beeline it, you'd probably walk through the middle section.
1: And you know what? Maybe that's why they put the bread on the one side so that you have to walk in a complete diagonal to get to the other side. I'm thinking about the couple grocery stores I know, maybe three. And You can do a diagonal line between the bread and the dairy.
0: The ones I've seen is usually like an L shape. You walk straight in and you would come across the bread and then you turn like a right angle. You would have to walk in an L shape. You can't walk through the walls. (laughs) Yeah. But one of the weird things I've come across, I don't remember what the findings were, were, were that different stores... Oriented their entrances as much as they could to make it. a can towards the left or towards the right because I think people are more likely to turn right when given a choice that's open. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the finding, like the research, or what they found, but that is apparently something they have looked into. These stores have looked a lot into different research to make things work. And I guess the uh, the lost leader, if we want to stick on topic, is to do with that. So one of the most famous examples. Can you think of any other examples first? My flaw here is that I kind of steamrolled with information. So let's let's get you to interact a little bit. What examples can you think of outside of grocery stores. It's not quite when you give a free
1: sample, is it? Like it's giving something away to attract people to what your thing is and then you
0: upsell them. I suppose a free sample could be, but it's more you're selling something a really good bargain rate to get people in the door with hopes that they'll lack the discipline to just get that one thing. You're going to tempt them every step along the way so that as they go in and out and then when they're checking out, there's going to be a bunch of these impulse buys. Yeah, so it's
1: not necessarily free. It's just something that you're selling at or below cost. Like you could be losing money on the bread that's really cheap, but you're getting them on the impulse buys, but can't really think of any examples right now. Amazon's main page where they're selling some discounted items, but they're not really at a loss. They're just like 24 hour discounts and stuff.
0: Mm, Those could be at a loss. Honestly, we, it's hard to
1: tell with these things. Amazon operates at a loss quite a bit at the time, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, part of that's because they can do tax write-offs for those their expenses. And if they keep reinvesting in their own stuff, this is one of the ways they evade taxes besides like tax havens, is that if you keep doing things at a loss, or at least on paper at a loss, then it can work in your favor for taxes. One of the ways I think it was that they sell their IP to a subsidiary And then that subsidiary has to pay that amount of cost, which offsets any profits that subsidiary makes. So it's like my intellectual property is the framework of Amazon. You are somebody that works for me. I'm going to say, hey, I'll lease this to you for the price of all of your profits this year. And you're like, all right, I guess. So then you'll make no profits and thus pay no tax. But this is kind of similar because I guess you bring people in, you can write off the loss per sale and then hopefully you'll make even more. But I mean, that's not quite how people think it works. It's not like you have. Let's make it round numbers. You have to pay a hundred dollars in taxes and you had a one dollar. Loss. It's not you owe ninety nine dollars now. It's you have to go to your actual income and subtract from that. So it might only be like ninety nine point nine dollars now. So it's not quite one to one. So like that's kind of boring. Let's get away from that. Okay. So fine. I know I said away from grocery stores, but there was one that's a bulk store was Costco. Costco is very famous for selling uh, rotisserie chickens for apparently four ninety nine U S dollars. So per year. Apparently they lose 30 to 40 million dollars on these chickens alone and they're placed at the back of the store so that as you walk in, you'll see all this stuff, all these good bargains, especially at the end caps. End caps is the term in at least grocery stores where it's the end of a, an aisle or maybe like a floating thing. I can't remember what those are called, but like a little bins that have good deals and those are purposefully scattered along that path that you're most likely to take to get to these things so it'll catch your eye constantly you have to have blinders on to avoid this that's true so they say that they uh they sell it for $4.99 because that's what they think it should cost to customers end quote I don't know if that's because they think that this is how much food should cost food should be affordable which that sounds agreeable or if it's just like this is what people think it should cost and this is what we're giving it to them because this is what they imagine it should be Either way, it pulls in tons of people.
1: It's all a social construction of what it should be. But when it comes to the marketing of the loss leader, that makes a lot of sense in particular the location of it. There's another thing that reminds me of in Costco are the hot dogs. Are you familiar with the hot dogs that are right after the cash?
0: Oh, I know they have the food there that's really cheap. I think it's like a, a buck or something, isn't it? Yeah, you can get like a lunch for like almost nothing. They must be losing money on that. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. But I think that's this is where it's a gray line, because like this whole thing, loss leaders is kind of a gray hat in programming terms kind of thing. So that means it's not quite clearly good, but it could be used for abuse. But they could also just be a good strategy, because in this case, they will do these things to be like, look, we're good customer service. And it is good customer service because everyone wants to eat. But it's also potentially malicious. I'll get to that in a second. Another example is for tech companies. I was selling matcha, I think my first company, which was a colossal failure. But luckily, it was only like 500 bucks. Gotcha, matcha. Gotcha, matcha. Yeah, <laughs> that was the name. And uh, it did not do too well. I, I think I sold to a few different cafes and I hated making the sales calls. We, we walked around one day with
1: samples and went to cafes and all of that. Yeah.
0: yeah, but you've usually kind of like hung on while I was doing these weird experiments or attempts to do these things. I've hung on.
1: I've, I'm still here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're still hanging on by the ends of your fingertips, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I was reading about different sales models and they were saying that there were products, services, and I think products that have aftermarket services or aftermarket sales. And that was considered the best and products alone was considered the worst. I don't know why they restricted it so narrowly because I tried to find that in preparation for this episode, but I couldn't find it. And I found like 12 different business models and a bunch of other stuff. So I don't know why they did that. But they were saying selling a product... Then selling uh, services, so like say Microsoft, Microsoft selling um, Windows, that's relatively cheap up front. And then they can sell you all the add-ons and extra programs and everything afterwards. So they can help you debug it or whatever issues you've got. And then peripherals. So like mouse, those other things, that's where they were intending to make most of their money. Oh, interesting. So they just want you to get you on board. And this, if you remember from the design principles episode, I think I mentioned this, Don Norman talked about how companies will try to do this to lock you in. Apple is Mm. notorious for doing this although not quite because they get you in the door and then they try to keep you there by penning you so that it only interacts well with their own stuff but they they're not quite doing it at a a loss of course they're doing a severe markup because they have convinced people that branding works so well not whatever other reasons i don't want to get mac uh, fanboys on me about that so whatever for tons of great reasons that's why people buy it there Uh, So tech companies apparently sell that initial thing at a cheaper price for these reasons. So, for instance, one of the most famous examples is printers. Printers to initially buy them are cheap, but then the ink is stupidly expensive for what it is. Have you found this? Yeah, the, the, the ink's just as much as the printer. Or I guess maybe goldfish. Goldfish, apparently, I remember reading, and ethics aside, they are cheaper to just continually buy new ones than they are to feed. No way. It's horrendous, but apparently... I don't know if it's still true, but I remember reading that half a decade ago. How long can they live without food? Uh, Probably a few days. So it's
1: cheaper to replace the goldfish than to buy the food.
0: Oh, they can survive about, uh, apparently... Two weeks, about two weeks food. Oh, that's way longer than I thought. There you go. Not condoning animal abuse here. No. And why is this so searched? <laughs> a lot of high competition articles here. Yeah. So, anyway, back on task. So, apparently, uh, the reason I brought up that business model thing was they were saying that selling individual items up front was the very worst. Like I guess I was in the middle ground because mine were perishable or consumable. So they'd have to keep coming back. But if it's a one and done, like I think for some reason, the word limeware comes to mind, but I think it was a specific kind of dishware that it It was so sturdy. It was really good in dealing with heat stress. So it was very unlikely to shatter. You could drop it and it wouldn't break. It was made of a really tough ceramic. And if anybody has those, they're actually worth quite a bit of money now because people really want them because they're just indestructible basically. But what happened to that company? I don't know. They went out of business because nobody needed to buy any more of them. So that's an issue with the one and done ones, I guess, that if it doesn't break or it doesn't need any kind of follow up, the company has no revenue. And thus, we had planned obsolescence. So things would go bad over a certain amount of time. We've talked about that briefly before. So I mentioned this would be predatory. How do you think loss leaders could be predatory? Because it wasn't super obvious to me until somebody pointed out and was like, oh, shit, they could do that. Uh, Bait and switch. I don't know. They sell you
1: something. You think it's a good deal. And then there's like hidden fees of some sort. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess that could be a way, but it's more actually predatory between businesses than it is between customer and business. The problem is, say, oh, I see that. Yeah. Okay, so where do you
1: think I'm going with this? You could undercut your competitor by hurting yourself. You're hurting them as well but you're willing to take more of a hit because you're a bigger company that sells more diverse stuff, like a Walmart, for example, that can put smaller, less diversely stocked stores out of business.
0: Exactly. You got it almost exactly on. That was good. I wasn't sure if you'd get there. So yeah, larger companies can do this predatorily because if say you are selling something that is your primary breadwinner, something that really does well and everyone knows you do well, you could come along if you're a larger company and sell that specific thing at a loss. You don't even have to intend to recoup your profits for a while. If you're a big enough company that can absorb the loss, you can keep selling at a loss, at a loss, at a loss, and not even doing this is sort of a tangential loss leader approach because usually the plan is get people in the door, get them to spend more money than you're losing on the product you're selling at a loss. But in this way, you're doing it similarly, but you're doing it to sap all the customers away from your competition so that they can't survive. You choke, you hold them underwater until they are drowned, basically, and then you buy them or consume them in some other way. And then they don't exist. You can jack up your prices, going to kind of a monopolistic approach. So like you said, Walmart. That
1: makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, because you, you don't need the profit on that one little item because you have so many other items. But
0: even supposing that was your main main income, you could do this strategy if there's only a couple other competitors and they're much smaller than you. You could just operate at a loss. Again, losses track year over year until you actually make enough money to stop using your losses to offset your tax burden. You can keep accruing losses. And as long as you think you can survive long enough. Problem with this is it can backfire. You can even you can cut yourself so deeply that other competition can rise in the meantime and ended up con- taking you out at the same time it's like uh three armies are fighting one sits back lets the other two fight until they get weak enough and the third one comes in and mops it all up
1: yeah i I heard amazon was operating this way that they were operating at a loss in very razor thin margins to have this competitive advantage and, and nobody can compete with the way they're doing business i think
0: that's kind of probably misleading from what i've read i think it's because the reason their margin their profits were so small is because they are constantly doing those those tricks i was talking about earlier but also if you put money into R&D, like developing your business or expanding to continually do these things, that also counts as like not a profit, right? Because you're you're not keeping the money, you're putting it back into the business, which is also not taxable. Right. Again, I'm not super proficient in a lot of these things. This is my understanding of it. And uh, it seems to be how it works.
1: Is this why Tesla has a space program? I'm just thinking now, <laughs> like that would be a significant business expense that would lower their tax burden.
0: Tesla doesn't have a space program, though. It's SpaceX that does. They're different businesses.
1: Are they under a holding company, like an umbrella? Or is it a completely separate entity?
0: I'm not sure. I've never really studied their corporate structure. But I know that they're all Elon Musk related stuff. Apparently, I don't even know which ones he actually started. Tesla isn't started by him. It was started by two other guys. He bought his way in and then apparently he changed their official history so that he was part of the initial members, but he wasn't actually there. Well, I mean it's not like real history, and you can still find that it's it's not true. But like he's I think the modern day Edison. I don't think he's a Tesla that people think he is, like the, the genius that's just like toiling away. He's very smart at business stuff, but it doesn't mean he's a great creator. He's the Edison, except for I think Edison actually probably had Maybe more skill. I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm angering probably to Musk fans. Another fan base that's very avid. He's a great guy. No, I don't actually like him very much. Okay. So back on Lost Leaders. So Lost Leaders there's a number of conditions that need to be met for it to be maximally effective or at least beneficial. One of them I've already mentioned, uh, several of them I've already mentioned. The first one is you have to have a lot of after sales things that are highly desired or essential. So like I said, the Microsoft or printers, you need to have those things to operate. You need to have a mouse, you need to have a keyboard, probably a monitor. There's a bunch of programs you're going to need. You need ink. So that that's when it would work. You have many other things like you were pointing out. You have other things to sell to customers to get their attention because otherwise you're just bringing them in the store and losing money. It's not really worth it. Your area, it probably is more beneficial if your area has a fair bit of competition so that you can attract customers away from your competition. If you're the only one selling stuff, there's no real reason for you to do that unless, I guess, you're competing with the internet, which is very likely these days if you're selling physical goods. But some things need to be in person. You have slow moving inventory you need to get rid of. And then it's maximally beneficial if you have like a purchase limit. The item is perishable, so it's not going to last too long. Like those chickens, for instance, they're already cooked. They're only going to last less than a week. You you place it. You have a big store where people have to walk through a lot of it and This one, I think is kind of funny. Your average customer has low buying discipline. (laughs) Oh, wow. I guess it's good to be realistic about your customer base. You want to not say this publicly, I I would imagine. But if you have customers that are very good at impulse buying, good from your perspective, that they have low discipline to stop themselves from buying things that they otherwise wouldn't get unless you put it in front of them, then that's great. That's like the ideal thing. And then I guess the gray slash black hat is the territory is you have smaller customers that are, are known for this particular item and you can outlast them like the predatory thing i was talking about okay
1: all of these criteria don't necessarily match with the example that i was thinking about uh and that would be in auto sales a loss leader from my understanding in that regard is cuz they're not going to sell off a bunch of cars uh at, at a loss necessarily they're going to make their profits with their lower priced vehicles like the Ford F150 is probably one of the biggest profitable things for Ford. So they're not going to take a loss on one of their most major pieces. What they do from my understanding is something like halo cars. Uh, Are you familiar with that concept? No, I'm not. The car at the very top of the line, the one that is the best, it's like a, a sports car, like the Corvette, for example. And I don't know. An Audi, they have a really good one. That's uh,
0: one of my favorite cars here. So, is this different than like a flagship product, like a flagship car? I think flagship ones are like they're most well known, but I don't maybe most popular. So, I'm not sure if like sports cars would count because most people are like the Ford F150 seems like a flagship thing for their truck division, but I'm not sure like sports cars would be.
1: Yeah, the Audi R8 actually. It's it's one, It's considered one of the best most successful halo cars in existence because what they did is they they had a bunch of research and development created this car that not too many people are going to be able to afford or buy but they put it right at the top of their lineup and everyone got excited about it they aspired to have it they wanted it and it got a lot of press and among car fans it became very popular they had this whole lineup below it of various levels where if you couldn't afford that one you would get you that that's the car that would bring you to the showroom because you'd want to see it. You want to be around it.
0: Yeah. It shows off the the tech and stuff they have.
1: Yeah. You'd want to witness. It It was cool. It brought some, like uh, some prestige to the brand, but once you were in the door, you couldn't actually necessarily get that. They would sell you on what you actually could get. So you can go one down or several down or, or even the very bottom. But either way, the design in some way resembled that top car. So all the development it took to create this car And they're not going to, I don't know, maybe they do profit on it too, but it's not a big significant portion of the company. The company's not getting rich because of their exotic
0: car at the top. The company's getting rich because of the most commonly purchased cars. An anchoring effect of sorts. It makes me think of like wine lists, how they'll have, say, a $250 bottle of wine, the list most expensive to least expensive so that you will see the most expensive first. That'll frame everything. So like this is like, oh, I mean, I really want that thing. But like now this $30,000 car seems very affordable. It's got I mean, it's not quite as good, but it's better than those other ones, I guess. In some way, if you look at the
1: whole Audi lineup, they've done the such a great job at making it in some way resemble that top car like the top car doesn't look like a completely different thing like the RA resembles the each car down the line in some way, the lighting, the shape, there are elements that follow through. So you can take that kind of halo prestige that you've applied to this top car and, and see it in the lower models and, and still feel that you're
0: getting a, a really cool type car. Aspirational. I'm going to bring that up again. Aspirational. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm thinking about cars. If you're going with lost leaders, I suppose out of warranty vehicles would count. Somewhat because they're going to have stuff to like the aftermarket for them is where they're probably going to get this stuff perhaps, but I don't really know because I've never really studied the automobile market too much, but I know they're going to need like a lot of tune ups and random things that are break new tires, chemicals and other fluids that need to go in the machine. And I guess... Especially nowadays, with everything being electronic, people can't actually fix their car. The whole like right to repair thing that's been coming around these days, it's making it so you must go back to people with special tools or expertise. You can't do it. And I think that's kind of something that capitalism brought about a lot of the time is making us kind of barred off from things that we used to do ourselves it used to be maybe a rite of passage, like building a house or something along those lines, or maybe like burying the dead. These used to be things that we used to do in our own house and as like a farewell or something that, like I said, a rite of passage. But now these things have been so commoditized that we think that we can't do these things. It's dirty. It's out of our hands. It's not something that's allowed to be done by profane, unprofessional hands. Yes. Though I think some things go a bit far in terms of like, I guess home births are one thing that I'm kind of mixed about. I feel like there should be like special birthing clinics, perhaps because the hospital is full of disease and sick people and cross contamination is a thing. So I think it makes some sense. But I also think like you want to have the benefit of like a doctor and medical equipment and other emergency things that aren't available in the home. So it's like we're kind of in this weird middle space where we're trying to figure that out still. It's interesting how you you went there from loss
1: leader because it does connect and I see the the path there. And and I was thinking of it. in terms of oil changes as you kind of took that path. And it relates because you go to a place for the cheap oil change, which I don't know if you've, you've been through any oil changes recently, have you? No, no. It's been years. <laughs> so they don't profit like a ton, maybe. I don't know what the margins are. But they upsell you on everything else. <laughs> you need to get the fluid and this change and that change. And they really sell you on the, all of the other things. So I don't know if that's more of a, an upsell than a loss leader,
0: because they're probably not losing on the oil. But it, what it does. Mm, well, no, no, this is the thing about business, though, is you're just factoring in the cost of oil, not the time and expertise of the mechanic that has to deal with it. Plus the overhead of like having the shop in whatever location it costs. All these things need to be accounted for for every hour that you're working and operating. Yeah, because loss leaders are also break even. They can be lost but they can also just be like barely breaking or razor thin, as you said before. So I imagine that you're right. This is, that does seem like a loss leader thing because it's something that everyone needs like milk or eggs or whatever. So you're going to go there eventually. And they know that if you get a low enough price, they can pull you in. That would be a high competition area. There's a lot of different mechanics around town that could do the same job, right? That would make sense.
1: But how it relates to the idea that you were talking about before of it separates you from your own independence to do the things yourself is is because I think with these markets and the high competition, they're able to drive the price so low that when you look at the economics of doing it yourself, you think, well, that doesn't even make sense because I have to go to the store and get the oil filter and then buy the oil. And then by the time I buy those things, I'm already that paying this much. And then the time it takes me to do it, you factor all that in, there's really no difference perhaps. And so it drives people to depend on uh, all of these services and rather than doing things themselves. I think that's the point you were trying to make.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I suppose that is one of the cases, but also it's like a lot of like branding and marketing, like diamond rings, before in 1900s it was just i think maybe a ring or not even a ring you would just ask cuz you it wasn't a thing and uh, as everyone well most people seem to know the whole de Beers thing uh, marketing campaign the most successful ever was convincing people they needed not only a diamond but like one that cost 3 months salary When it's like, why? And also, (laughs) one of the things I found really interesting in that area, like we're basically kind of I mean, we're not filling time. I feel just like it's a little bit of a short episode. So I'm throwing in some discussion, which I would normally cut out when it comes to diamonds. I I found this interesting thing where apparently, chemically speaking, like a quote unquote, real diamond versus a synthetic one They, I think they've dubbed those uh, fake or cubic zirconia or whatever. I think structurally speaking, they're identical. There's no difference whatsoever. But they started marketing those as like, look, real diamonds. And so they they leaned into it instead of telling people that, yeah, they are basically uh, the same. They started being like, no, 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 this one's fake. This one we manufactured. It's not from nature. It's something we made in a lab. You know, it's a little dirty, kind of not not as good as the real thing literally identical from what I understand. And so what they started selling was like, they, they split the market. And so they made the luxury real diamonds, which if your lover is worth it, then you will give them a real diamond when you propose. Why would you give them one of those fake diamonds? And they started selling a low market fake diamond area. So like, it'd be like cheaper. And so then people in their minds would be like, is this a real one? And they'd, they'd start asking and thinking about it, but they're they're the same. And even now I was at dinner yesterday with my family and they started talking about how, oh, it's a, it's a cubic zirconia. I'm not going to say this because it's like a bit of a downer kind of like, well, actually, but I was just thinking in my head like how do we even talk about this because like we have to discuss people will always bring up is it real and then like yeah they're all real but there's no real difference other than the social aspect of it yeah the re- reality is socially constructed yeah like uh, i guess Here's a guitar. I'll give you a guitar. It's an exact replica of Hendrix's guitar that he played this one famous show, let's say. And you'd be like, okay, cool. It's a nice guitar. But if I say this is the guitar that he owned, he touched this. Suddenly it's imbued with its extra power, even though it's observably and by all objective measures, no different whatsoever. No difference at all. Yeah. We need to do an episode on social construction. I think that's. Oh, my God. That's a huge topic, though. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we could. So, I actually had some more written here. I have a couple, well, examples and uh, what businesses need to watch for, and then a discussion question. So. Well, businesses need to watch for for loss leaders. We're bringing it back uh, bulk buying. You may have noticed that when I said for things to work, you need to have a, a purchasing limit because if you don't, this has happened on Amazon, uh, fulfillment by Amazon stuff, people who have their own products there. There's something you have to be very wary of if you were to set up sale to try to drive your rank because you always want to be a high rank on Google or on uh, Amazon's page. If you're on the first page, you'll get a ton of sales. If you're on any other page, much less sales, significantly less sales. So people will try to increase their what's called sales velocity, the amount of sales they're making over time, because then that'll make Amazon see like, oh, this product's doing really well, and they'll bump it up a bit. So people would do these sales like that. But if you didn't set it up properly, by say putting the price too low, or in this case, not doing a limit, people would buy your entire stock like that, and then they would resell it. <laughs> wow! So you end up competing with your own products because people have bought all your stock out at a loss for you, probably, or a very very small margin, and then they would set up their own shop and sell it no way yeah so don't carelessly you gotta you gotta be careful because people will buy that and only that and in huge quantities which is why they have like you probably know when it's going on when they have a sale where they're like limit to per household or whatever although how the hell they're gonna know per household
1: yeah that's probably why they're doing that is to diversify the amount of people that they can offer the loss leader to but also to protect themselves from that type of corporate sabotage
0: yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The other thing you have to watch for if you're a business doing these things, I think it's interesting to look at their side. Typically, I'll try to find the the strongest arguments, which is usually the people using it. So then you can kind of understand what their rationale is. Because I mean, a lot of people listening to this are not going to have their own companies. So this is uh, maybe useless to some degree, but like as a consumer, you could understand their inner workings so you can better think about it. So the next problem is uh, brand perception. If, say, Apple were to start selling their iPhone for $100, suddenly they would lose a lot of the prestige they have. And then their aftermath market. Other things would be like, why are you selling this other thing for so much? I remember there was this big backlash for like, I think a computer screen stand for, I want to say like a thousand dollars, something really ridiculous. It's just like, it's just plastic metal and screws and it just holds up a screen. You could use a, a computer or like a, a stack of books for that. And it's not going to cost you as much, but it won't be as pretty and it won't be official. And that wouldn't make any sense if the initial product was too cheap. I like that. There's a prestige factor there to
1: consider. Yeah. Cause it could damage your, your brand if you too low.
0: Yeah. Cause that's one of the things I've come across. That's actually part of the discussion question, which I basically just ruined with that one, actually. <laughs> the last thing that businesses need to watch for is that they're actually gaining something from this. They could just be losing money overall. And as a customer, we can say like we can thumb our nose at them or flip them the bird by just going in and specifically buying that thing. Like for say Walmart, I don't want to support them. We we talked about them earlier in a book I actually forgot to mention was uh, Nobody Makes You Shop at Walmart, where it talks about how you can choose to make the right choices and and by right choices, I mean, like supporting local community, going for higher quality stuff, encouraging diversity of shops in your area. But despite you individually making all the right choices, chances are on the whole, other people will be doing what's most affordable for them. Thus, actually slowly draining the diversity in, in the market and going towards Walmart. And eventually you will be forced to shop at Walmart. The title is kind of a, a tongue in cheek saying you nobody makes you shop at Walmart, which is the argument. You just don't shop there. But sometimes after enough time, after they've sucked the life out of the, strangled the life out of it, like Amazon's currently doing, like I guess, nationally, there is no choice but to do so. Mm, got it. Okay. Uh, if done badly, you can lose money overall. You want to make sure that you're actually gaining some money. But apparently, I, I saw some research recently on TV advertisements these days. Apparently, TV advertisements, the vast majority do not make returns on the amount of money spent on these campaigns. They're just too broad. They're not targeted enough the internet is way more powerful for that but like billboards and paper ads which is where a bunch of their money came from and tv all these old mediums that are dying it doesn't make any sense for any business to even consider them i guess if you want to do like a joke ad (laughs) because i considered doing that at one point uh just making silly ads just for the, the hell of it you could do that on tv for probably bargain rates these days because they're they're really not getting anybody anything in terms of roi Return on investment. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch TV
1: ads much these days. But uh, when I have seen it on in the background, actually, my parents because we don't have any form of television in our own home it was the same ad over and over again i was like what are they oh my god they're unbearable it, no literally the same advertisement it would be on one minute and then it would switch to another one and then we back on the same one i'm like between commercial breaks they probably showed the same ad like two or three times
0: yeah i guess so that was actually kind of touched on um a couple episodes ago uh what were we talking about it was me. The last one I did, I don't remember what the topic was, but two episodes ago, they were talking about how it's just the the mere exposure effect. I think is what they're leaning on, which is a psychological phenomena where just by seeing something over and over again, you become familiar with it and you end up think, valuing it higher or thinking it's better. And one of the economists I was quoting there, I don't think I ended up mentioning this, but he said the confusion in the grocery store, for instance, say like you're standing in front of the toothpaste aisle, there's Very little difference between a lot of these things. You don't really know which one's better. All you know is they're pretty much the same. They try to differentiate in fairly meaningless ways. And there are different heights. And at that point, the confusion actually works in the favor of those with all the marketing. So I guess you could argue that by having so many ads, you're familiar with it. Even if you hate it, you will at least see it and recognize it. You might forget your hatred of that commercial and just say, That brand. I recognize that brand. I'll get that one. I don't know. It's a little bit more, but it's probably worth it because I recognize this brand. Sometimes these things do matter, but a lot of the times, like say toothpaste, I don't think it matters really at all. Okay, so the discussion question I had was in my research for this, not article, this uh, episode, uh, I came across people claiming that price is everything. Is this true? And if it's not, where isn't it? Price isn't everything. Price is everything is what they're arguing. It is the ultimate thing. Who's arguing that? People on the internet, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. It's not anybody particularly official. was just a discussion question we could talk about.
1: I don't think it's everything. I think brands are almost everything. Hmm.
0: So you think that like if people pick a brand, those two identical products, one's a brand they recognize, they're going to pay like five times the price. doesn't matter. Ten times the price. Oh, yeah. I think brand...
1: Wins, uh, You know, there's brand, there's sales, there's pricing, there's customer service. Receive value. There's a lot of factors here. I'm not I'm not a business expert <laughs> of any sort. But uh, my intuition is that brand is the thing to contend with. Pricing yeah. can ruin brand, actually, as we were saying before. Let's say you're looking at a counselor, for example. Now, now I'm not saying that just because someone charges a higher rate means they're better. That's obviously not the case. But if you are looking somebody up and you, you have two options that look pretty fitting in your area and one charges, I don't know, $200 an hour, the other one, $50 an hour you would be tempted to make the assumption that the $200 an hour counselor is better, more experienced, that the $50 an hour one is more amateur. You would just kind of make that assumption based on pricing, which would ruin the brand of the lower priced service. Yeah. What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah. Perceived value. I always I came across this argument when it came to brands when I was younger, when it's like, they're all kind of made in the same, like Southeast Asian countries. They're not really that higher quality, but I think that people get them and think that they're high quality because since they paid so much more, they are more likely to take better care of it. So if I give you a pair of like $500 boots versus you pay $500 for these boots, the one that I gave you, but you don't know the price, you might toss aside, you might not oil them as you should every season or whatever, caretaking things you should do. Instead, you just kind of like toss aside and see, let them wear and tear because you think it's not that valuable. But knowing how much it is and feeling that it is more expensive, you'll value it higher and thus it will stay longer. That's within reason because like some really cheap boots will no matter how good you care of them, they will disintegrate faster. Like they say, it's expensive to be, to be poor. It's more expensive to be poor because you, the stuff you buy is within the price you can afford right now. But it ultimately costs you more money long term because the stuff you can afford now will degrade year after year. Right. Whereas if you bought quality, if you can pay up front, which a lot of people, if you are lacking funds, obviously can't, then that would last years without having to pay any more, So ultimately being cheaper. So that, that's what came to mind. But also I was thinking a cheaper when it comes to services, a cheaper person coming into the market might underprice themselves just to get going to get some cash flow. And then as they run out of space or time, and they get more and more in demand, they will raise their rates so that they can start making some real money. So I'm not sure you've kind of experienced this from when you first start, you give like a reasonable rate, but then as you run out of time, and you're more demand, you don't have unlimited time as the one resources we can't get any more of you start raising the rates so that you can still take on clients who are more worth it for you, but that can afford it. So I guess you end up pricing yourself out of certain markets. You become like a luxury good.
1: Right. And the pricing, it's interesting, actually does influence outcomes and not necessarily based on counselor competency and therapeutic technique hmm. because that if we look at all of the factors that play into particular transformation or change there's there's many is counselor competency is a small piece of the bigger pie the biggest piece of it would be extra therapeutic situations so things that are happening in their daily life another piece of it would be therapeutic relationship meaning how well you get along with that person But a significant piece that's actually equivalent to counselor competency is something called client expectation. (laughs) And this is where the pricing actually can affect therapeutic outcomes, because if you expect to have a high quality service because you're paying a lot, it actually makes it more effective, whether or not independent of the technique. So the technique could be good, it could be poor, but the very nature of you expecting it to be good is a significant therapeutic
0: factor. Yeah, that reminds me of my honor seminar in hypnosis, because one of the findings from hypnosis was that it's the skill of the hypnotist is actually far less relevant than the ability for the person to be hypnotized, because not everybody can be and not everybody is as adept at it. But also just the person believing that they can be hypnotized and that this is going to go well and their expectations vastly affects how it goes. I mean, it's kind of like the placebo effect, right? Like you you think it's going to be more valuable. So it is more valuable in its own way. And people, mistake the placebo effect to mean like the effect isn't real it's not true our mind is actually very powerful and it does change these things it does have an effect you can actually God, like, think about stress you can lose your hair or get rashes or just not sleep and is that not real it is real despite being just psychogenetic i think it's psychosomatic yeah yeah it's still real it's still real as a perceiver because a lot of these things are like we keep just bringing up socially constructed like what you think changes whether it's real or not
1: yes so pricing could affect outcomes, perceptions, brand. But in terms of the context of we originally started with as a loss leader in a grocery store, it doesn't have that effect because I'm not going to go into a, a fancy grocery store and be like, cheap bread. This place is trash. Like, you know, it's just a
0: <laughs> oh, bread for affordable prices. Oh, I don't want any. The proof is in the. Uh, the eating of it, right? So when you have it, you're like, okay, this is pretty good. I don't care if I paid fifty bucks for a really good bread, yeah. then I eat it and it's stale and not very good, and blech, you're just like, ugh, I'm never buying that again. Doesn't matter that I paid fifty bucks for it. <laughs> but it can actually differentiate. There was one place I remember reading about. I think it was a in the book *Contagion*, talking about how things become viral. That one they were talking about, I think, a hamburger or a pulled pork sandwich or something, something that in the area was very common, but they made it the most expensive one they could have. So they had like Hollandaise sauce with really expensive mayo and like gold leaf. Gold leaf doesn't do anything. It just makes, except for raise the price. You can't taste it. It just, it doesn't do anything. It's just, this a stupid thing that people seem to like. And it's, I guess, just luxury market that I don't fully understand. A leaf of gold, like a piece of gold. Yeah. You've never had gold leaf. No. It's like, it's very, very thin, very, very malleable gold flakes that is consumable because it just passes through you it doesn't do anything and it just raises the price of something it's usually in luxury stuff so strange yeah i don't get it at all it's consumable gold
1: i'd be concerned about like the health effects even though you said that it it doesn't do anything it's still kind of odd
0: (laughs) yeah well people go for it okay so i want to talk about one particular example this is the last thing i have written down is uh video game systems are another example of lost leaders apparently even though video game systems can be quite expensive they're actually sold at usually at cost or around that rate they're not actually making a huge killing on the actual sales of the system itself so like nintendo switch i looked at that, that up for some hard numbers it costs about what they said and this was i think last year an article it said it cost 257 dollars us let's say 260 to make it e- easier numbers and they're selling it for about 300 so that's a, a 40 dollar profit right? But the thing is, and people, I don't really get it when people do this. I guess I do kind of get it because if you don't understand a lot of the backgrounds, it can seem nonsensical, but it's just, suppose they were to sell it for like $400. It's $140. That's close to 50% markup. People will be like, why are they selling it for so much? That's unreasonable, blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing is, a lot of these things, it's not just the cost to manufacture, <laughs> if you think about it, because right now, Steam, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Are you familiar with uh, Valve, Steam, the company? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's a game platform where it allows gaming production companies and studios to host their their game to sell it through them it's kind of like the amazon of games but you can log into any computer and you can whatever games you have on your your user you can log into any computer and download them and play them there so it's very very convenient it's what's winning competing with free I always say in modern day you're basically with subscription services you're competing with free you have to make it more convenient than free because that's out there. We can just download games and other softwares and videos for free. If you know a little bit about tech, it doesn't even take that much these days. So the thing that people I think are missing is that the reason I'm bringing in steam for Nintendo is Nintendo is making a small profit on that. If they were to jack it up, people would think that they were scalping. But Nintendo has to factor in a bunch of different things. They're the first ones to do a system like this, that's been really successful with this amount of power and battery life and functionality It's fairly inventive. And so to come up with that, they had to spend tons in R&D. so they had to research and develop this. They had to figure out, like, tool up different factories to do that. So when you start working with a factory, you have to get them to change their equipment so that they can make that specific thing. Even if it's something simple, you have to pay for upfront costs for, like, tool and die or whatever, just so they can get the molds available. Then they have that cost. Then they have logistics cost. Then they have, I guess, warehousing costs. So for logistics, it would be warehousing, shipments, all those other things. And then finally, they also have to make a bottom, like increase their bottom line for their investors, but also so they have a cushion to defend against people coming in to try to take over their territory. So in this case, Steam, I was mentioning, is coming up with a product that's very similar, at least in the market space. It's pretty much identical in the market space to Nintendo Switch, where it's a handheld thing that you can play. It has enough power. It can play most games you want. You can play it on the TV as well if you want, and you can pick it up and go just like Nintendo Switch. Xbox and PlayStation are not doing this at all. They're not even in the same market space basically anymore when it comes to that because Nintendo has differentiated themselves enough. So now Nintendo has to fend off Steam coming in and doing this and Steam's thing is even more customizable. So with that, you can install Windows, you can do these other things that allow tech oriented people to do things that could actually end up stealing from Nintendo. For instance, they could use the Steam controller, Steam system to emulate, to mimic Nintendo Switch system. And then you could start playing all Nintendo's games effectively for free. Oh no. Which obviously Nintendo does not want. Wow. So Nintendo has to figure out like all the court cases to defend against this sort of thing and their operation costs, the the cost of their actual employees, all these things need to be factored in. So when people say like this only costs $20 to make, but they're selling it for a hundred dollars. I don't know if it's justified. But they have other factors and then just the sheer cost of materials and production. Yeah. The R&D particularly. Yeah. A long winded thing making me seem like a shell for corporations. (laughs) It is true to be much more complicated. I'm not saying they're justified, especially in like slave labor conditions or sweatshops or things. But there is more going on than just like the material cost of making something like just developing. It costs a lot of money. Research and development. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the last piece I had. I don't, there was really no takeaway from this particular thing. Like, what what actionable things can we come up with? There's zero takeaway. No, there's nothing. Well, if you're a company this has a lot of takeaways, like I guess you want to have other things to sell. You want to have aftermarket stuff. You want to use perishable things or things that people are going to consume quickly. You want to have a maximum purchase limit and you can use this to get rid of slow moving inventory while also maybe making other sales as well if you make them appealing enough. So those are for businesses. For consumers, I think it's useful to know because if you're like me and you don't agree with the business practices of people like Amazon or Walmart and you see they have a really compelling sale, you can go in and just buy that one thing and be disciplined about that because this is their entire they're banking on the fact that you're going to go in and buy other things but if you can keep yourself disciplined and just buy the things you want and the things that you need then you can kind of flip them off on the way out because they just lost money on selling you that thing flip them off (laughs) oh and buying bulk if there's no limit and you wouldn't mind selling on amazon then go to town you can make some money doing that so go to thailand That's the takeaway. Yeah, we're trying to, I don't know if anybody's listening to this right now, I guess you will be, but we're trying to organize guests coming on. I think I mentioned that at the end of the last episode, but we have to figure out timing and it's going to be even more difficult because you are selling your house and moving. I just moved from Toronto to my parents' place and then I'm moving to Thailand. We're both like in a state of moving, so it's hard to have stability right now.
1: Yes. Good reflection there, counselor. We just kind of squeezed this in during lunch breaks and random times so we can't commit to guests because we need flexibility.
0: Yeah, it's an issue. Yeah. It'd be nice because it would actually help with promotion, but someday. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, some someday. And I, I'm guessing that I'm going to be the one sacrificing to stay up really late or, or getting up really early to do episodes because it's going to be, I think, close to 12 hour time change again. Oh, no way. That's true. The sacrifices I make for the fans are beautiful, intelligent and charismatic friends, fans, whatever you want to call them, friends, as you do like to say. <laughs> yeah, it's just me. All right. Yeah. Steve, Steve badmos You guys just <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> He, he, just kidding he does not I don't know we kind of just do these conversations and try I try not to think too much about how many people might be listening because it freaks me out (laughs) I don't think really many actually Mm, well enough uh we got probably it's hard to really quantify because different different platforms have different you look at the numbers how many with spotify we know about the the followers i think it's like about 300 still no way 300 on spotify I'm, i'm wrong on spotify i think we have maybe 75 ish followers 60 to 75 somewhere in that range no way and on independent downloads they don't tell you how many followers you have at least not the platform we use they just tell us the number of sheer downloads and i think that's like 500 plus i think so we've got like enough of a reach. I don't know how many people that quantifies ads, but thank you all for showing up Uh, again. Try to spread it around and uh, we'd like to keep doing what we're doing. And again, I still have not finalized our Patreon, which would be nice because we could get probably I guess we could do question ones where you guys could write in questions and we'll answer whatever you want within reason. Or we could do guest episodes. We could do episodes where it's just us talking about recent events even to kind of break the format we've got going on. It depends. Uh, Whatever you guys want, we can consider that and uh, you'll get more content. So I guess I should finish that up. Anyway, that's it for today i think on last episode i said if you had podcasts you thought we could collaborate with or would be willing to have us on you would think uh we could we could definitely reach out to them so let us know what you think and now that's it <laughs> so thanks for tuning in and hopefully we see you next time peace and i'll exploit you for free unlike lawyers i feel bad about using their services but you who cares
1: <laughs> you're worthless anyways.